Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Morgana. And tonight, we're talking with an experiencer from here in Athens County. Her name is Allie. Hello, Allie. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Allie uh, sent me an email a while back, and we've been talking a little bit, and she has some stories. Her mom grew up in Athens, right? Yes. Okay. So, go ahead. All right. Well, um, I I feel like my stories actually start before I was on the scene, especially as pertains to Athens County, because as you said, my mom, uh, she was born in Athens at sheltering arms back when that was a hospital. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, my grandparents lived very close to there on the West side. Wow. And so um, my family on my mom's side has lived in Athens County for since the early 1800s and what was circumstances uh, there's almost none of us left here now. Um, but when I was growing up, my mom would talk about Southeast Ohio all the time. So she had polio when she was little in the forties. And because all of the good hospitals were in Columbus and also around that time, my grandparents split up, my grandma moved them to Columbus to be close to the hospitals. My mom had a really bad case and she required a ton of surgeries and stuff like that. And so um, the family just needed to be closer. And I'm sure she didn't mind getting out of a small town as a divorced woman in the forties, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know, Columbus is not that far away. And then uh, eventually uh, they moved down to Texas following my mom's neurosurgeon who had gone to a hospital down there. Um, and my mom was like probably maybe 11 or so around then, but she would always come back and spend the summers with her grandparents who lived in the Plains. And so anyway, like I say, she was just always telling me these stories about the stuff that she would do and how it was so beautiful here and the eccentric characters that she would meet. (laughs) Some of them were in our family to be fair. (laughs) And so I just always, I was, I grew up in California and I, but I just always wanted to see this place. And I had thought that, you know, it'd be cool sometime to maybe take a road trip out here. I have an aunt who still lives in this area and I just thought, well, that'd be cool. Do a road trip, go see my aunt, all that. Um, But then as things turned out, I was uh, caring for my mom up until she died and 
at that time she was living in California. And so out there they have a program where you can earn a small stipend if you're the full-time caregiver of somebody. And so when she passed, it was like, not only did I lose my mom, who I was very close to, but effectively my job and my house at the same time. Yeah. But as coincidence, not really coincidence, but, you know, coincidence would have it. My best friend had recently gotten hired uh, as a professor at OU. And she was like, hey, uh, I'm knocking around in this big old farmhouse that I'm renting. I've got tons of extra room. Why don't you come out here and stay with me? And so I said, what the heck? Why not? And I came out here and that was five years ago and I've been here since. That's awesome. And yeah. And now that I'm here, it's like all the stuff about my family that was so inexplicable just completely makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not laughing in a mean way. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But yeah. 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 I mean, like colorful characters and, uh, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I was a kid, and my mom, my mom and I both did this. I mean, I basically learned it from her is hanging around cemeteries. <laughs> Which is a deeply <laughs> Athenian thing to do. Isn't yeah, it? Is. Isn't it? And, uh, it really is. When I was a teenager, we, my mom and I were talking about it and said something and my grandmother was there and she was like, you do that too? I've always done that, but I didn't tell anybody because I thought it was kind of weird and spooky. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> yeah, we do that. Um, and now that I'm here, like I get it because there's so many good, creepy little cemeteries all over the place. Yeah, there and a lot of them. There's at least fifty in in Athens County alone, and a bunch of them have my ancestors in them too. Yeah. So, in fact, um, when I first went to uh, that big cemetery by Nelsonville Greenlawn, I think it is, um, I knew I had a bunch of ancestors buried there, but when I got there, I was like, oh, this place is huge. I don't know how I'm ever going to find them. And so I was just was like, ancestors, help a girl out. Where are you at? And I was like, mm, I kind of feel like I should go off this way, kind of to the left. And I did. And boom, right there. They were right there all together. So I was like, yeah, you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They talked back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I feel attracted to this place is like, I, f I feel them, their presence kind of, and it's just, this is a very haunted landscape. And I don't just mean in the sense of ghosts of dead people, but there are like, whatever you want to call them, you know, like genius loci or spirits of the land, fae, elves, whatever. Like you really feel them around here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely the case. Um, mm -hmm. And I just discovered I have an ancestor in the um, cemetery on West State. I had no idea that my great-grandfather's... No. Yeah, my great-grandfather's sister is buried there. And I was fiddling around on ancestry.com and i was like oh my god <laughs> she's right around the corner and down the street <laughs> i had no idea but that might also play into part of why i feel very at home here in athens 
And the first place I lived in Athens was literally a block away from there. So. Oh, really? Yeah. The first place I lived when I moved out here is an old farmhouse that is technically in the Athens city limits, but it's in Rome Township. It's actually like out toward Guysville near the river. And um, that spot out there is just a really, it has good vibes for me, I guess. It just, um, there is, there is one spooky thing out there, which is there's like a holler on the back of the property where the coyotes go at night. And coyotes here sound very different from coyotes out West. Coyotes out West have that yipping kind of sound. It's almost like they're laughing or something. And out here, it's more like they're hungry ghosts wailing (laughs) and coming to get your soul. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm kind of fond of them though, but Mm -hmm. because I, I lived out um, on one of the county roads and the back of our property that we lived on and rented um, up on the ridge, the coyotes would show up. And fortunately, my cats were inside cats. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise I would not have found this as cool. I would be like, oh, no. oh boy. Um, but I always liked hearing them, hearing them sing at night. Although they are really eerie. Like, especially I could imagine if you didn't know what they were. You'd yeah, be yes. like, oh my God, why is the wind now a sentient banshee that is coming <laughs> for me? <laughs> because they they don't just do their like yips and their like weird laughy fighting noises. They do howl. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. And sometimes they do that in town. Um, I've heard them yep. once or twice in the park by my place here. And my poor dog. Every time that happens, he's like, I don't want to go pee. Oh. I don't want to go outside. Yeah. I'm a I'm a tiny dog. That's that's no. <laughs> yeah, my little dog I used to have was just scared to death of coyotes too. Um it's but they were bigger than him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, I The other thing about my family, besides it being full of eccentrics, is that it's also full of people who have second sight. And so that was something when I was growing up that was just taken for granted. It's like, of course we do. It's just how how it goes. So I was lucky in the sense that when that stuff started happening to me, I didn't, they didn't disbelieve me or put me down for it or anything like that. Um... The only sort of downside there, I guess, is that other members of my family tend to be more like they see things and they know things or whatever. And I was more like, I feel things. And they didn't really have the vocabulary to, I don't know if they just didn't recognize that as quite the same phenomenon or didn't know how to talk about it or what. But as a result, I thought I was like this total weirdo black sheep who didn't fit in with the rest of the family. And and I thought that I didn't have second sight. And as, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, psychic abilities or what have you. But as a result, I was a very confused little child because like I knew things I wasn't supposed to know. I saw dead people and I, but I I was like feral. I didn't have any (laughs) kind of training in how to deal with it. And my mom was always like, 
do not tell anyone about this. And she would say, and I quote, this is how people get burned at the stake. Do not tell anyone. So when I hear people tell their youth stories about being like the witchy kid or the gothy kid and like reading tarot cards for their friends, I'm so jealous because I was terrified to do that. So I had, I was just the nerdy studious kid who had a like really interesting private life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's kind of awesome though. Like it sucks that you didn't get to be the witchy kid if you wanted to be the witchy kid. But I don't know, being having the secret like soul of like the witchy kid is also (laughs) really cool and valid. (laughs) Well, thank you for saying that. That makes me feel validated. Um, Well, my first uh, like paranormal experience, I guess I actually don't remember this. But I remember my mom telling me the story all the time. My mom was a fantastic storyteller. And uh, I would, you know, unlike so many kids that are just like, ugh, when they hear their parents when they're a teenager or whatever, I was like, oh, tell that story about such and such, you know. And um, so apparently uh, I was probably about three-ish when this happened. And my mom was at home cleaning the house. And I came up to her and I said, hey, mom. I got to go to the bathroom. Will you come with me? Cause there's a man in there. And she was like, "Uh Oh, there should not be a man in the bathroom. And so of course she goes, she goes with me and there's no man there visibly. And so I sit on the toilet, I do my thing. And I, the door to my bedroom was close to the bathroom door. And so when we were leaving, I point in there and I go, there's another one in there. And she's like, what? And so she started asking me questions to try and, elicit more information without freaking me out about it. And I told her that they were policemen and they had been shooted with shoot guns, quote unquote. And um, she asked me what color their uniforms were because my mom had up until, you know, she left for maternity leave with me and then she stayed home with me for a while. Uh, She had been a dispatcher and a booking deputy for the sheriff's department in our County. This was in Northern California and that was the late 70s which was like the heyday of serial killers up there and even though we lived in this little bitty rural county with not much going on we were like in between san francisco and sacramento and the freeway going through there was kind of like a corridor for transporting criminals you know and uh drugs and all kinds of stuff So they got a lot of colorful stuff going on in this little bitty rural county. Well, anyway, so she asked me what color their uniforms were because she could tell which branch of law enforcement they were by the color of the uniforms. And I said tan, which meant that they were highway patrolmen. And I described where the wounds were. And she uh, called up her former partner who was still worked for the sheriff's department and said, well, my daughter just told me this. And her partner was like, oh, my God. She said, we kept back that information about the wounds because um, we wanted to use that as a holdback to verify any information people gave us. And she was like, that is exactly where they were. Like one of them had been shot in the elbow, for example. And they were one of the guys was a friend of my mom, actually. And the other guy was uh, his he was a new partner 
for my mom's friend and she didn't know him as well. And um, I mean, this is a case like you can look it up. There's I think there's a Wikipedia page on it and stuff. These two guys uh, pulled over um, this really bad dude on a traffic stop. It was like a broken taillight or something. And he had been heard to say to somebody that the next cops who pulled him over, he was going to blow him away. And he did. And um, he somehow managed to get their weapons away from them, which is still a mystery, sort of how he did that. Um, but at the time I saw these guys, that was coming to trial. So I don't know. Evidently, they decided to drop in on my mom or something. That must be. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would assume. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That had to have given your mom pause right there. Uh, oh, yeah. And there was a lot of weird stuff happening in my poor mom's life around that time period. Um, that was one of the things. I mean, not just me seeing the ghost, but like having her friend murdered and all that. Um, but she also... Uh, around that time, somebody put a death curse on her. It didn't work, fortunately, unless you count a death curse that happened like 40 years later. It was slow. But, <laughs> yes. It was time release death curse. Yeah, time <laughs> But she said that um, she was home alone one night and she smelled uh, like men's aftershave. And my dad never used aftershave. So she was like, uh oh, but she didn't see anybody, whatever. Um, but she had that kind of like hair standing up on the back of your neck, feeling like there's somebody watching you. And a little later that evening, she went into the bathroom and there was a towel on the floor, which my mom was a Virgo. She didn't do towels on the bathroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like, what the hell? You know, she goes to pick up the towel and well, there's a, this little black beetle like beside the towel so she grabs like a wad of toilet paper to grab it and flush it. And when she grabs it and pulls it up, it's not a beetle. It's the head of a snake. Oh, it is like hidden under this towel. No. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. So she goes, ah, throws it out the window. Um, so Wait, then the whole snake or just the head, the whole snake. <laughs> she oh, didn't okay. separate the head. She got the whole thing. And uh, luckily, since she had the head, it couldn't bite her. I don't know if it was venomous or anything. It was a black snake. It was probably yeah. just a black snake, mm -hmm. a racer or a whip snake. Rat yeah, snake. That would be my guess. So then a little bit later, uh, around this time, my parents had gotten divorced. I was about four. And uh, my mom was putting away wrapping paper which she kept in the linen cupboard in the closet. And as she opened up the door on the inside of the door, she sees this symbol scratched, which looks sort of like a tic-tac-toe and it has the word death written in it. And that hadn't been there like just a week before or whatever, when she'd gotten out the wrapping paper to do Christmas wrapping. Right. So this is right after Christmas. Now this thing is there. So somebody has been in the house doing this. Well, she puts it down to being my dad, even though that's not his style at all. Right. Um, but sometime later, uh, she was doing a deep clean because since they had gotten divorced, they were selling the house and all this. And she moved the curtains in the living room to actually took them down to wash them. And there was another one of these things scratched in the window, like the side of the windowsill. Oh, God. And so 
that was just one of those mysterious things for many years until I was a teenager. And my cousin was in the library looking for books on voodoo, you know, like you do as one when does. you're a teenager. Huh? Yeah. As one does. <laughs> exactly. As one does. And um, she saw a book on hoodoo that was near the mm -hmm. books on voodoo. And she was like, took it home, you know. And in that book, there was this symbol that my mom had found carved in the house. And my cousin took it to the Botanica, which is like the where the curanderas were, because this was Texas at this point. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I recognize that. Don't mess with that. That's bad. Hmm. So, yeah. I wonder who was lurking about doing that. It's such an interesting question. Uh, you know, my mom, though, she... Uh, that was not the first time somebody had almost killed her or tried to kill her. Um, and, and she was a nice lady and not involved in criminal activity. So not in a situation where you're surrounded by weapons or something like that. Uh, but she had gotten poisoned at one point when one of the highway patrolmen or sheriff's deputies that she worked with went to Denny's and he picked up some milkshakes for my mom and her partner. And the waitress at Denny's uh, had been having an affair with that guy's partner and decided oh, wow. she wanted to kill him and thought that the milkshakes were for the guy and his partner and they would be drinking them. But instead, oh. my mom and her partner got them. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. This is either like the worst or the best luck ever because she never got, she never died. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> until exactly. old age yeah and she got really good stories out of it yeah. yeah wow that's that's man yeah so that was a weird time but sadly i must have i don't know if it was that i had a bad experience that i blocked out of my memory or if it was that I just sort of drank the general social Kool-Aid about how ghosts are supposed to be scary and stuff. Because yeah. for some reason after that, I blocked out the ability to see them. And I was terrified of them. Like I would pray, don't let me see ghosts. Like other people in my family see this stuff. Please do not just, just do not let me see ghosts. And so I didn't, but I would still feel them. And... I, as fate would have it, I ended up living in some haunted houses <laughs> where I got to feel them regularly. There was one place where uh, they, whoever it was, they were, they had this vibe of like grouchy, disapproving old lady, you know? And I was a teenager and I was really, I don't know if my hormones were messed up or what, but like I was a super night owl and there was this one summer where I basically became completely nocturnal. <laughs> and so I'm in my room. There's nobody else awake. There's nothing to do. I'm like listening to music on my headphones and, you know, dancing around the room or whatever. And all of a sudden I just get this feeling that I'm just like, you know, some sort of devil child and should be ashamed <laughs> of myself kind of thing. And I remember saying to my cousin and my aunt, one time I was like, okay, look, I think there's something in that room. Please do not confirm for me if that is true. I just <laughs> want to say for the record, I think there's something in there and it really creeps me out. And they were like, okay, 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 sure. Noted. And um, after I moved out of there, 
when I went to college, I said to my cousin, okay, you can tell me now I'm not in that room anymore. Was it haunted? And she was like, hell yes, it was haunted. I put salt around the bed every night. So haunted. My dog refused to go in that room. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, it was that kind of thing. I lived in one house where there was apparently, I didn't feel this one, but apparently there was a ghost cat. Oh, that's not surprising. We have yes. ghost cats in our house. This one would, you know, do the thing where they wind around your ankles, like the figure yeah. eight, but it would do it when you were lying in bed. So you'd be horizontal and it would be doing the ankle <laughs> thing. That house had been owned by a cat lady formerly. So, you know, again, not surprising. Yeah. 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 But then since I've come here to Athens, I have been, um, how do I want to put this? Both, I think, sort of maturing more into my abilities. And over the years, I had come to embrace them much more. And because, like I said, when I was a kid, I was kind of feral. I had sought out my own information on how to manage them. Right. right. And um, so I had, I, I also, I majored in anthropology and my interest in anthropology was, even though I kind of, I still kept this in the broom closet, but I was always really interested from the time I was a kid, I was so interested in anything that was like occult or esoteric. Um, I got my first tarot cards over my mom's objections when I was 12, because she was afraid it was going to be like a Ouija board and I would like summon a demon who would blow us all up or something. But um, I didn't really learn to read them effectively at that time at all. <laughs> but they were cool. They were like Egyptian themed. So they looked great. And uh, I got into astrology when I was around 15. And I was always really into mythology as well. And like uh, folklore, fairy folklore, things like that. I know that's the F word. That's all right. They seem to be immune to it most of the time around here a little bit. I wouldn't say it to their face. No, <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> no, that's not I, the way to do it. But do that either. It, it's easier when we're talking on the podcast for people who don't know all the the proper polite epithets like good folk or <laughs> you know good neighbors, friendly folk, the other crowd, um, all of that. So have at. Yeah. So I was so into all that stuff and. I had um, Catherine Briggs's was it Encyclopedia of Fairies? I think it was called. And I read that thing cover to cover like more than once. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I was I read it at a very early age too, so mm -hmm. I do understand. And yeah, it concerned my mom a little bit, but you know, she she also had majored in anthropology, so she was kind of like, eh, you know, one does these things, you know. Um. And, but, you know, I, school was like, except for where math was concerned, which I'm abominable at, school was sort of the safe place where I could get positive feedback with, and as long as I kept the whole, like, psychic visions thing, mom, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I did okay. I was a nerdy kid, and I like to read and stuff like that. And so... And for my mom, there was 
never allowed to be any question that I would go, not just to college, but grad school. Like that was just not up for question. My dad's side is very academic. And she was like, you're going to follow in those footsteps and probably be a professor and so on. So I did go to grad school and I kept studying anthropology and archaeology and found myself surrounded by people who were mostly either scientists or very scientifically minded and engaged in some kind of research that was science adjacent, you know. And uh, the cultural anthropologists were into some cooler stuff, but <laughs> yeah, there's still academia is is not super friendly for the most part to um, spirituality. It's yeah. just you're sort of allowed to be somewhere on the spectrum from agnostic to atheist. Or you're kind of a nut job. Like, that's just the options. And I'm glad to say that there are some anthropologists now who are doing some work that's really amazing, where they've they've finally gotten past this attitude of holding themselves aloof, like they're spectators to everything. And usually part of that whether intentional or not is this sort of like attitude of well these people believe this and we tolerate that that's fine it's interesting it's cool but we know that really it's not like that we know that really yeah. you didn't get hit with an elf shot and that's why you're sick it's because you came in contact with a virus let's say and they're finally getting away from that now and and anthropology is starting to become what I think it had the promise of being, but had to go through its growing pains and stuff before. And that's very cool. But while I was there, it was more of this very sciencey stuff. And science is cool. I'm not anti-science. I was doing it there for a while myself. But mostly these were not people that I could like watch ghost hunters with. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. Um, my best friend was the exception to that. And uh, she is a scientist and she is a professor, but she's also an open-minded person who is curious about things right? and doesn't make up her mind in advance about what they are. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so I was like super in the broom closet and I got really, really, really depressed. And finally, I don't know exactly what sort of kicked me in the pants and changed my perspective, but finally I realized that, this stuff about myself that I was trying to hide and disown and, and be secretive about wasn't a weakness that was preventing me from like being a better academic. It was a strength. I just wasn't on the right path. Right. Yeah. So at that point I started really more embracing this stuff and I had like a whole side interest in all kinds of magical practice. It was still very intellectual for the most part. It was academic in that sense, but it was my secret interest, so to speak. Um, I, I worked as much of it as I could into my dissertation, which was about mirrors. And, you know, mirrors are very spooky. So yeah. Morgana does not sleep I in a room with a mirror. I don't like mirrors. I won't sleep in a room with a mirror either. Absolutely not. I'll cover right. that thing up. If I can't there's, get it out of the room. There's too much about mirrors that have occult significance. And also they're just creepy on a regular old mental, like physical, like how our brains actually work. They, they're they weird and mm -hmm. they mess with that. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for me to be cozy with them, like where I'm sleeping, because I have to pee in the night. Me and too. I do not need that moment where your light flicks on and you see yourself in the mirror and it scares the crap out of you because our brains are not like prepared for there to be suddenly a person because it reads as a person for a split second before you're like, Oh yeah, it's just my reflection because mirrors don't exist in nature. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We, we get slightly polished metal or like a reflection in water. And like, I also am not like, Oh my God, things that don't exist in nature are bad. That's not what I'm saying, everybody in the world. But I am saying we didn't evolve to cope with them very well. And I think that's part of why so much has been built up around the concept of mirrors in an occult sense and in a superstitious sense. And I am totally one of those superstitious people who are like, screw mirrors, that's not happening in my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 100% on board with that. I, uh, so my dissertation research was on mirrors. It was a cr- like a cross-cultural comparison of mirrors from there's different timeline terminologies for different parts of the world. So in Europe, it would be like the iron age, but basically we're talking about late prehistory to like the very earliest centuries of there being historical records for temperate Eurasia. So I wasn't looking at the Mediterranean or the Middle East, South Asia. Um, You know, we're looking at like the steppes, East Asia, Europe, North of the Alps, that kind of area. And I did that because there's already been a lot written on the Mediterranean mirrors, but very little on the stuff from North of there. And there hadn't been anything done that was really a comparison across this whole area. But during that period, so starting like say a thousand BC, roughly, it's more like seven hundred BC, um, up to maybe five hundred AD in East Asia, a little earlier than that, Europe. There's just this explosion of mirrors, and they are turning up in circumstances that are really charged with ritual and religious significance, like mainly burials, but also depositions of metalwork in like watery places which is a big thing in Europe. Yeah. And so my question is kind of like, why is everybody suddenly so crazy about mirrors? Like what is the, cause they've been around for quite a, some time before that. It wasn't a brand new technology. Um, and, and what is it about the mirrors themselves that makes them selected for this kind of special treatment? In Japan, you get burials where there will be like, 30 some mirrors in a single burial. It's not just like, oh, they buried them with a mirror so they could do their makeup in the afterlife. You don't need 36 mirrors to do your makeup. And so they're obviously playing a different role. And I would have liked to get really woo with that, but that was not gonna happen for my advisory committee. (laughs) So I had to do some like, you know, summary statistical type stuff looking at like the placement of the mirrors and the burial and things like that but so it it never really became quite what I wanted it to but I also never could come up with the final answer to what it is about mirrors that makes them so special and one thing about them is that yeah they're they are a uniquely human technology 
as you say, they it's very rare even in nature to encounter like a pool of water that's still enough to see your reflection clearly. Um, and there's such consistent lore about them from across this huge time and space where they are talked about as being portals to other worlds, about uh, allowing communication between worlds, as being places where you can make contact with and see the dead. Um, and I, I don't think that that's, that's not every single culture coming up with this independently. A lot of that is because there's tremendous cultural contact across this region, but right. it's also, I think, some it is something about the relationship of people to mirrors there's and your relationship to your own reflection and there's also in addition to what you're saying about like just the weirdness of that split second moment where you don't recognize yourself there's also um just the shininess factor shininess really plays with your mind and it's very attractive to people, like just like it is to turkeys and magpies and stuff. It's, yeah. you know, we like our bling, basically. <laughs> and, but I'm a big believer that a lot of human technological innovation is, was actually coming from spirit contact. I think they taught us a lot of this stuff. And for what inscrutable purposes, I have no idea. I don't chalk everything up to that. And of course it's completely taboo in like mainstream archeology span to even say something like that. But um, I think a lot of stuff that we have chalked up to being mundane technology is actually technology for things like communicating with spirits. And there's a reason that shamans use mirrors a lot. Yeah. They're Although I- feng shui too. Yeah. Which, of yeah. course, when you said 36 mirrors in a Japanese burial, I'm like, that's a little bit feng shui like with the Bagua mirrors to reflect energies that are negative away from places and positive energies toward places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That was, of course, that's where my brain went zipping off to. But yeah, well, you're I, I not went the putting hearts in mirrored boxes to keep vampires trapped. <laughs> yeah yeah that works yeah too. well it's, it's they kind of did that because in a lot of those japanese burials they would put the mirrors on edge with the shiny side facing in toward the body so whether that was to keep something in or direct something toward them well of course we'll never know because that wasn't yeah. something that they chose to write about um and the feng shui connection could be there in a sense because at that point in history um, Japan was in contact with uh, cultures in Korea and in China. Right. And China was the big kind of like dominant cultural center that people sort of looked to as like, ooh, civilization, you know, and yeah. um, they did a lot of, they also produced mirrors by mass production using molds and stuff. And so they exported them to all these other cultures and Japan was one of those places. And I'm sure that ideas about what mirrors are good for, what they're useful for also went to Japan. Now, I think they probably had their own indigenous ideas of what to do with this too, but they were definitely in communication about that. So they could very well have had some sort of uh, early form of 
what we would call feng shui now that was influencing that. That's fascinating. Yeah, but I'm still scared to mess with them. I mean, even in spite They're of... They're just eerie. <laughs> yeah, they just are. eerie. Like, I... It is pure superstition and gut feeling that I don't particularly care for them. Um, and I, I didn't, nobody like sat me down and was like, mirrors are spooky. You should never like do anything with mirrors. It was like purely through cultural osmosis Yeah, that like you hear all the normal things. Like you have to cover a mirror if somebody's died in the house so they don't get trapped, mm -hmm. you know, that's a funerary tradition. Um, Bloody Mary. Also I was just going to mention mirrors. Yeah. Um, which I find fascinating. Kids myths are just super interesting because, like, I think school there's a separate culture of school children mm -hmm. that pass down children's like mythos, mythoses, mythoses, Myth. mythos. Sure. <laughs> Mythoi. <laughs> Their own that that is contained within like school aged kids, and like I don't know who, what, where, or how Bloody Mary happened, but it is such a little ritual. You know, it's got the magic word, the magic chant. Mm -hmm. It's got the candles. It's got the darkness, and either turning your back and turning around, or closing your eyes and opening your eyes. Like, there's all these things that I'm just like, how did kids come up with this? Right. Uh, you know, I never did that when I was a kid. I mean, other kids talked about it and said, like, do you want to do this? And I was just like, are you kidding me? No, I do not want to do that. <laughs> like, you were who would want to do this? I think I, I mean, I sense already at that age that like, I mean, those components make a ritual. Like, mm -hmm, that's yeah. a ritual. Yeah. And I don't know what's on the other end of that. You know, maybe nothing's going to happen, but I don't know. I'm not going to risk that. Yeah, you, you had sense enough to know that ritual isn't a game. I mean, yeah. it can be a game, but it's not trying to conjure a spirit that you don't know who or what it is, is not the best kind of game. Mm -mm. And I, I, w I was with you. I would never have. I didn't play that game. I did it like twice. <laughs> Yeah, and, you and the first time I bolted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is what you would do. Like, nobody really stayed there, I don't think. I think we all did it and then ran. Yes, yeah. Um, and both times I was talked into doing it. And the second time, the older girls scared the bejesus out of us. But either way, like, you never stayed to see if she was there. But people would always say, no, we totally saw her. Or, like, there was blood, like, a bloody handprint on the mirror. Or, like, blood on your face or she would scratch you. Or, like, whatever would be told is what happened. And I just, I want to know where that myth started. And I've never been able to figure it out. <laughs> there are some... um studies in folklore journals that have traced like when it first appeared at least as far as it can be traced back and i want to say it's it's earlier than i thought i want to say it was actually like the 60s um mm. but as far as i know nobody has ever been able to conclusively say wait like what did it come from what is the seed yeah. of this 
Right. And how did the like ritual stuff get attached to it? And as opposed to just being like a ghost story or something. Right. Cause not every ghost story yields a ritual. Right. Like some do like, cause uh, besides bloody Mary, you know, there's the Halloween night ritual of if there's a haunted house in your neighborhood, in some neighborhoods, all the kids will go there. Yeah. Or here mm-hmm. in Athens, you have, you have the TV ward. Right. Mm-hmm. That like everybody would go sneak into. And like, I do wonder about that. Like there's, I'm trying to think like of a specific one, but there's always like hints and like certain graves. If you go on the day of their death, you'll hear something or smell something. Well, there's the, the ritual bottle of wine that was left at Edgar Allan Poe's grave forever and ever and ever. Um, And that the man who was doing it passed away, but his son has kept up the tradition and, you know, for the longest time, nobody knew who was doing that. Um, if you go to New Orleans, you should go to Marie Laveau's uh, grave. And if you practice hoodoo or voodoo, you leave silver on her grave. So people leave silver coins on her grave and ask wishes. And that's a, that's a ritual. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. So some of it's cultural, some of it is religious, some of it's folklore. It's hard to say, but yeah, Bloody Mary, I have no clue where that came from. I always figured it was uh, some kind of, I don't know, just sort of kids thing that they saw a movie or saw a TV show and started playing the game and it just spread, but Man, did it spread everywhere. (laughs) It really did. And kids that age do like to be scared and scare each other. I mean, that is definitely a thing. Um, I think it was Alan Dundies, who was a folklorist at Berkeley, and he was kind of Freudian about everything. And he thought that it had something to do with sort of like pubescent girls, you know, like a menstruation thing, which I never found very persuasive myself yeah i wonder if it wasn't like an a nursery rhyme that just like emerged that was about bloody mary from england like the queen <laughs> because well, i be. always assumed i mean you look at actually a lot of our nursery rhymes and they actually do have really horrible grisly roots so yeah. that wouldn't surprise me yeah I was thinking about Ring Around the Rosie, like mm-hmm. which came all the way to America and is about the plague. <laughs> right, exactly. And some of it is like obscure stuff. I I think uh, Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating a Christmas pie, uh, something, something, stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. It has something to do with like the seizure of monastery lands by the crown, you know, when Henry VIII decided not to be catholic anymore or something you know it's very obscure stuff now yeah but it's always dark you know it's always somebody who got killed or a bunch of people who got killed yeah somebody's land got stolen Mm -hmm. terrible things happened so and yet we tell them to our babies yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like old fairy tales that were horrifying and you're like Which makes sense. I like to think of them as like teaching stories and like cautionary tales. 
Well, also know. those weren't originally just for children either. No. Stories that were told to entertain everybody. So that's part of why they were so gruesome. Humans mm -hmm. like gruesome stuff. I always liked the dark ones when I was a kid. I think my favorite was Hansel and Gretel. Oh, yeah. Right. I didn't. You too? I I liked Hansel and Gretel. Um, I th I really liked Snow White, which is just when I look, even the Disney movie, they can't fully get that one to not be no. what. <laughs> also, yeah. it was an earlier Disney movie, so they mostly just made like cute animation and kept it horrifying. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. I was never too interested in like the, um, you know, princess marrying the prince stuff. Right. And I think if I had been anyway, my mom told me when I was very young that like, you know, you don't, you don't want to be a princess. It's all like obligation and doing your duty for the country stuff. It's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, those ones were like the children get eaten by a wolf or face off against a witch or something. That was pretty much my jam. Um, yeah. Dark Scary Woods definitely was into that stuff. I wasn't, I was never um, dark in the sense of being like melancholy or morose. Or, it wasn't that sort of thing. It was just like, I just sensed that there was this real information in there about the world and yep. about things that actually exist in the world. And when I got a little bit older, I started kind of in my head like uh rewriting fairy tales from the point of view of the supposed bad guy where the bad guy is of course completely justified in everything that they do you know? yeah. <laughs> like it's just misunderstood i like that I mean, yeah i i definitely feel for the wolf in little red riding hood because i'm always it's always set in the spring and i'm like dude you just had a bad winter of hunting and we're like screw this i'm gonna eat people now because they're easy. <laughs> I mean, wolves Which, gotta eat. I, yeah. I, what, what am I gonna do if I'm a wolf and have had a terrible winter's hunting and there's nothing has come back yet? Uh, no, and I'm old and tired and hungry and weak. Yeah, I'm gonna eat the kid. Yeah, sorry to I, children I everywhere. <laughs> I always felt bad for the wolf and Peter and the wolf. You know, because he was just doing what wolves do. He was hunting. And then he gets hunted by this kid and then they cut his belly open and there's the duck that was swallowed whole. And that part creeped me out. And yes. Yeah, it was, I always felt, yeah, I was like, geez, this is just awful. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I always gravitated toward the animals more than people anyway. And so I always yeah. felt bad when these things befell animals, especially when they were just doing their thing. Um, yeah they weren't being evil they were just doing their ordinary wolf stuff business you know there's also important parenting lessons in there about like um not having a stepmom that's usually a bad thing yeah. in those yeah. stories um and uh you know not letting your kids uh go into the woods alone which and i think is I, probably how did i grow up going into the woods alone i mean <laughs> If I had had woods around when I was little, I would absolutely have done that. Because every time I went someplace where there were woods, I ran off to explore them. But there are dangers in that. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, the woods around here at night 
are super duper creepy. At least yes, in some places. Are. Yes, they are. Talk about that a little bit because that's, yeah. I know well, about those. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had a lot of occasion to be in the woods at night here. Um, my, my best friend lives, uh, out east of Athens and, it, you know, basically in the country. And during the daytime, her house is so pleasant. I don't think there's any, like, anything in the house, you know, like spirits in the house or whatever. But, like, it's so nice to just sit out on the back deck and, like, enjoy the sunshine. It's beautiful. The woods come right up to her back fence. And... I'm telling you, as soon as the sun goes down, whenever I leave, it's always way after dark because we spend up the whole evening talking and it is just like, how fast can I get in this car and get the hell away from this place? Yep. It, uh, it's just that feeling of being watched all the time. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed about Athens County um, related to this is that there can be a huge difference in the vibe of a place over a very short distance. So like you can just go over a hill into the next little holler and it will feel completely different from the one that you just mm -hmm. left. And as the crow flies, you're only like a mile away, but it's just like whatever lives there is different. Yep. And so you can be going along in some area and just feeling like all's right with the world and it's comfy, cozy and all that. And just hit this patch where you just feel like I don't belong here. Something does not want me here. I need to leave as soon as I can. Yeah. And um, interestingly, though, I have been in places where I had that feeling consistently for a long time. And then it just stopped. It was like whatever was there was sort of like, oh, OK, you're like you live here. Okay, you're going to be around. That's fine. You can be here. <laughs> you know, you, I know you're there you long enough to just be like, oh, okay, you're from here now. We're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Woods in Athens, just there's all kinds of strange things that happen out here. And there are micro ecologies of spirits, as you said. Yes. Like you're walking through the woods and then all of a sudden you stop and it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. This feels different. Um, and it can be small patches of woods. Um, here in Athens itself, we have woods that wander and wind all through the town. Like they're mm -hmm. it, it just, there's patches that the hills are rugged enough that I don't even know who owns those. I, but there's all of these woods all around our neighborhood, for example. And it's it's all rugged hillside. You can't really tra traverse it. And animals all live in there. And mm -hmm. so we have microecologies of animals. But we also, I think, have microecologies of spiritual activity that sometimes has a feel to it that's not creepy and sometimes it's very creepy and how it feels sometimes depends on the phase of the moon sometimes it has to do with the time of year has to do with the season and sometimes i think it just has to do with 
nothing except something that we don't know and we can't put you know a finger point a finger to what it is that causes that change that mercurial change in in spiritual temperament of a place i think they just have feelings yeah and they're just not feeling it some days that could be they the woods out when i lived out in the woods on one of the county roads october was a weird time oh yeah oh yeah um and there were days where it was very, very uncomfortable to be out there. And I would just be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go back to town until my friend gets off work and I'm not alone out here. Um, and yeah. I think there would just be random nights, too, where it would just be really spooky. And I would just, you know, we don't need to let the dog out to pee extra. <laughs> no, I I live in an apartment, so I have to actually take my dogs for walks. And in my neighborhood, there's like if you cross the big street, there's a hill. And one time, this was at night, I took my little dog oh, for a walk over the hill. And as soon as I got to the other side, I was just like, oh, no, it is just bad over here. Like just heavy and and dark and like that thick clingy feel to the air, you know, and like electrical charge at the same time. It's just like, Oh, I don't want to be here. And my dog stopped dead. He was just like, Nope, I think we're good. Let's go home. <laughs> and we did. Yeah. And I felt like something was following me the whole way. Yeah. And I was like, had goosebumps the rest of the night. Now um, that dog has since passed on, but I have my current dog and she always wants to go over that hill. And I don't know why I, I'm told that they're because of course there's more hills on the other side and they're wooded and they're full of deer. Apparently I haven't seen the deer, but this is what I'm told. And maybe she's attracted to animal smells or something like that over there. I don't know, but she is just dead set on going over this hill. And so I finally, I was like, all right, I'll suck it up and we'll go over there. And every time i get over there it's just like this ordinary looking little small town street there's nothing overtly strange there's not even a cemetery or something but it just is like how fast can i get all out of here i did was there like a factory that exploded or something i mean <laughs> yeah. was there a mine here that collapsed i don't know but well there could be that so there's there's lots of lots of old mine shafts and parts of towns are built over them in places. Mm -hmm. So that could be, it's, it's hard to say. There's been all sorts of tragic things happen. It could be, there was, you know, I, I hate the whole ancient Indian burial <laughs> ground thing because the whole country is people yes. have been buried here. I mean, come on. Um, and yeah, anyway, um, but at the same time, there were mounds all over the place here. And if you go out into Zaleski State Forest, for example, there are pits everywhere where in the 19th century people had dug up the mounds oh boy. and just left yeah. these sort of bowl shaped depressions all through the woods, which is great fun when you're hiking uh, <laughs> because you know, step right in it. Yeah. Um, but that could be. You know, there could have been a house there at one time that burnt down. There's, I mean, so many 
sad things have happened around. I mean, that's Appalachia, though. Yes. I mean, that's just that's just the whole region is like that. Um, I had a dream. Um, I get a lot of good information in my dreams. I call it going to night school. Um, sometimes I'll go through phases where I just have a whole bunch of dreams back to back where I'm just like downloading a bunch of information and I don't even understand it all at the time. It takes a while to kind of unpack and I'll just like know something and be like, where did I learn that? You know, but I had this dream that it, like the image was sort of like how the mist is here in the night where it settles down in the little low places, you know, and the hills are sticking up over the top of the mist. And so it's, it's like, it's very eerie looking. It's super atmospheric, right? But right. The, the idea that came with this is that it's almost like whatever you want to call it, whether it's chi or um, some sort of geomagnetic earth thing. I don't know. I just look at it as magic, really. But it's that it kind of settles in certain places. Yeah. And it just is like thicker there. And whether that's because of something in like something physical in the landscape. I mean, you always hear about limestone um, being like uh, almost a recorder or an attractor or something, which to me makes sense because limestone is literally made out of skeletons. Yeah, It is the bones of dead things. So yeah. it almost is a ghost itself in a, in a physical form. So it feels at least poetically, it feels right. reasonable that right. it would attract that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it's like certain landforms become invested with a sense of being either holy or, or cursed or something like that because of something that's already there in the landscape that humans encounter and then recognize, or if it sort of builds up over time from the way that humans interact with this, like the nature of the relationship that they have for whatever other reason, I don't really know. I, it's probably some combination of both, I guess. But yeah. yeah, I I've wondered about Athens. I mean, I first came here... 28 years ago I think um, and I haven't been here 28 years I, I left and then came back that's what happens you, you come to go to school and and you don't intend to stay but you end up staying and um, a friend of mine once said it's it's like fairyland you you eat the food you drink the the wine you dance with the the natives and then you end up staying and you can't yep. leave. and then you do leave but then you have to come back because <laughs> it changed you somehow. So, you know, we, we left and then we came back. But it, I always wondered if it was because I was coming out of a very traumatic phase in my life um, that everything seemed so active. But then in, you know, later years, talking with people who grew up here, they say, oh, no. The energy in Athens is cyclical. It comes and goes like the tide. It, it ebbs, it flows. Some, sometimes it's, it's much higher. Sometimes it's, it's much less. It never goes away, but, but sometimes where it's stronger will change. Um, 
So I thought that was interesting. I've heard that from two people who grew up here um, and have pretty much lived here their whole lives. And, uh, you know, they're fairly unflaky people. I mean, okay, one of them's fairly unflaky. The other one is a little bit, a <laughs> little bit weird, you know, a little bit strange. Um, but there are areas that just are consistently strange, like out Peach Ridge Road is one of the mm -hmm. places. Yep. Um, out Harmony Road is strange. That's um, close to where I first lived. Uh, I'm not surprised. Out, like if you go on Harmony Road and then you keep going and it changes its name. Right. Yeah. Um, it was out there. Okay. I, wonder, I like I it. Live, I, it was nice out there. The woods are really cool, but it yeah. is a bit odd. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that road, actually, there was a mound when they were building that road. There was a mound there. Um, there's uh, an Athens Messenger newspaper article about it from the 1920s, 1930s. And they dug up skeletons there. There was like uh, 12 regular sized human skeletons and one of the really large ones that oh, sometimes happens like seven foot tall mm -hmm. person in the center and they were like oh it's the chief and his warriors and you know what we're just going to put it right back and put the dirt right back down and then we're going to build the road right over that <laughs> and yeah i call oh. that silly white people business you know that's, that's yeah. I uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> at least they didn't. I always say at least they put them back. Yeah, but they and didn't like chuck them in the river. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's much better. Do something worse, or just like take the bones home and oh yeah, or disturb them further. Like at least they put them back where they found them. That's yeah, better that's than true. a lot of of accidental discovery of graves. Yeah, but they could have that we've know. done as people. You know, in Ireland, if there's a fairy tree, they go around it. They don't right. go through it or over it. <laughs> it's just, hmm. And how hard is it to just loop the road around the side of the mound, you know? Especially since it's it's Appalachia. Our roads are not straight anyway. No, God, they're the antithesis <laughs> of straight. Exactly. I was trying to explain to somebody once that like the number of miles as the crow flies between things is not even remotely a reflection of how long it will take to get there. No. Because firstly, the road will just weave all around the place. And secondly, there's a really good chance that like the road is falling apart anyhow. And so you'll only be able to go 30 miles an hour. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know? And then some of them don't even have a surface on them and they're gravel. Yes. And then you have to really slow down and. And or it's flooded. Yep, I was going to oh, say. Yeah. Or it's flooded, and you have to go around <laughs> because Google Maps run. took me once. I was going from Shawnee to Nelsonville, and it took me on. Uh, it was it was like a pig track in the woods. There was <laughs> no surface whatsoever. There was not even gravel. I was like, I don't know if this is a road. I could get shot by somebody that I've on their property. I don't know, but it did actually come out on a road. So, well, you made it. Okay. Yes, you did okay. How yes. how often do you go to night school, essentially? And what sort of stuff do you learn? Well, that's a really good question. I wonder how often it is. I feel like it's more and more now. Because I've always been a lucid dreamer. And I've always had really vivid dreams. And when I was a teenager, I kept dream journals. And a while back, I was... 
unpacking stuff I had moved or something like that. And I ran across them and I was flipping through them and some of them were hilarious. Like I'm so glad I wrote them down because they were really loopy. Um, but it definitely has increased. And especially now, because I finally, for a long time, I was having all of these experiences that were like kind of to your textbook, like shamanic type initiatory experiences. Like, um, I'd be meditating or something and I'd start having spontaneous visions where I'd be contacted by somebody and they'd tell me things. And uh, then I got chronically ill, which has never been diagnosed and, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I just, and I knew this, I recognized it because of all of the anthropology stuff, but then I was just like, but that surely that's not happening to me. I mean, I'm just little old me. There's nothing... I wouldn't be like singled out for this. And also there was this element of like, I don't know that I want this. I mean, that's a big responsibility and I might not be up to it, especially because I'm like chronically fatigued all the time. And, um, but I finally really just last year was kind of like, all right, look, this is happening. Like I need to just, accept it and go with it because it's going to happen regardless. And if I fight it, it's going to drag me kicking and screaming. So I might as well just actually voluntarily step into this. And so um, that's when I started doing training with Becky uh, Shining Bearheart, who used to be married to Crow, who is a practicing shaman as well in Athens. And um, since then, it's just like turned the knob up to 11. Yeah. So um, I'm getting stuff all the time. Um, and the kind of thing it will be is a lot of it is very symbolic. And I know that it's symbolic as it's happening. But I don't necessarily know what it's symbolic of at the time until later on, I'll be reading something and it will mention it and I'll be like, oh, that's what that was. Um, other times it's like that, the thing that I had with the, the mist settling down in the haulers where it's like, I know that is, that was, that was like both symbolic and literal at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of dreams where my ancestors will come and visit me. Um, uh, most often it's my aunt, one of my mom's sisters. She shows up frequently to just kind of do like a good job, kiddo you're doing all right kind of encouragement thing, mm -hmm. which I'm very grateful for. Uh, but sometimes it'll be ones that are even farther back. And the, often the information is kind of not connected to anything. Like um, my on my dad's side, both my grandfather and my great-grandfather were professors. And their wives, so my grandma and my great-grandma, appeared to me and they just told me like, you know, it was really hard sometimes being married to these professors, like we had to hold down the fort while they're off, like in their head, you know, in, thinking of some formula or whatever. And just like the house would literally fall down around them and they wouldn't even notice it while we were holding this stuff down. And I was like, cool. I'm cool. Thanks for telling me something about your experience. But it wasn't like some great cosmic truth or, tied into something I was researching or anything like that. It was just a connection kind of thing. That's good though. 
Yeah. So I actually started doing journeying of the spiritual shamanic type um, maybe six or seven years ago. It was something that I, I knew about it anthropologically. Uh, so in an academic sense, but I had read something that suggested one should actually do it. And at that point I was kind of trying to just kind of trying to push the envelope a little bit with my own experiences and see what, see what would be for me. Cause by that point I had realized that the academic track was not for me. And in fact, when I left to care for my mom, even though I finished my degree, uh, you, you don't, you can't leave and expect to get a job The it's no, so no. highly competitive. Yeah. You have to be in it the whole time. So effectively that path was closed for me regardless. There we go. So actually I did forget what we were talking about. <laughs> dreams. I know it was dreams. <clears throat> And traveling, shamanic journeying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started doing that. And um, it's, I've always been really good at visualizing and things. So it came really easily to me to see things. It's interesting because I don't, you know, when it comes to like ghosts and things like that, um, it's not quite seeing with my physical eyes. And it's not quite seeing with my mind's eye either. It's like a weird overlappy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When I was living out there uh, east of Athens in that kind of Harmony Road area, um, the house itself did not seem to be haunted, but there was a shed out there where we would put our recycling and stuff uh, for a while and let it build up until we took it down to the drop-off place. And, oh, it gave me the creeps. Like, it just had that uncanny feeling where, you know, I'd throw my recycling in and run back to the house kind of thing. <laughs> and finally, one time I went out there and I was like, you know what? I'm sorry we're throwing stuff in here in your area. Um, we don't mean to be rude. And um, I just want to let you know, like, I, I respect that you're here. I sense that you're here. Um, please don't be mad at us, you know. And uh, after that, it got a lot better. But But I started having a new experience, which was that when I was in the kitchen, you could see out to the backyard because there was, like, a mudroom and the doors between from the kitchen to the mudroom and from the mudroom outside both had glass windows in them and so I would be in the kitchen cleaning up or whatever and I would feel like somebody was watching me from outside mm. and and then somebody was there was a dude out there a not alive dude um he looked like a farmer type or farmhand maybe um had like uh overalls on and uh, he wasn't menacing or anything like that. He never attempted to come inside. Um, he just would stare at me and look kind of sad. So that was kind of a, not a negative experience. It was just one of those hair stands up on the back yeah. of your neck experiences. I find that happens a lot where the dead are involved because it's like, this isn't their realm. And it's not that they're evil or intending to scare you but they come with this uncanny feeling of being of another world and yeah. you sense like something here is off something is not 
as it should be based on how my normal reality goes. Uh, and they just, they just bring that with them. They can't really help it. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so I had another experience near where I live now where it was so like, I, I never could figure out if I was really seeing it or not, but I swear I saw this dude standing by the side of the road who had no legs. Like he was just, he was wearing like a tracksuit, like one of those, uh, I don't know what they are, nylon or whatever, yeah. running suit kind of things. In the middle of the night, standing on the side of the street, just but he didn't have any legs. And I was like, am I so tired that I'm hallucinating? Is this, am I really seeing this? Because it, it was, I guess it was more physical than I'm used to mm -hmm. seeing them. Right. Yeah. Normally it's I'll hear or feel them. I um, I was in England once doing research while I was in grad school and my cousin um, liked to travel, to, likes to travel to Wales a lot, which is an awesome, beautiful place. And she was like, Hey, I'm going to time my vacation so I can meet you there and we'll go to Wales. And so we oh, did. Cool. Yeah, it was super cool. And we stayed in this cottage where she always stays. The oldest part of the cottage is, is supposed to be like 500 years old. Oh, wow. And the uh, people who own it, they have a separate cottage that they live in and they, you know, rent this out as a holiday thing. And uh, I'm a night owl. So it's pretty late at night. I'm up in my room. My cousin had said she's, I'm the youngest cousin. She's the oldest cousin. There's a big age gap between us. And she's like, look, kid, I got bad knees. You're going to take me upstairs and I get the downstairs bedroom. So I'm up there by myself watching YouTube videos. And I hear footsteps walking up the stairs, which are wood and creaky, and then coming across the, the second floor, which also has a wood floor that's creaky and stopping in my doorway. And there's nobody there. Oh no! <laughs> and the doors open. The external room is like pitch black, and I was just like, "Oh god!" And again, it's that feeling of like, it's like terror, but um, but not not of something malicious. And I was like, "Oh man, just don't come in here. Like, just stay in the doorway. Don't come in here." Oh, and. Funnily enough, the next morning, I said to my cousin, I'm trying to play it cool, right? And I'm like, so, hey, did you come upstairs last night? And she was like, no, why would I go up there? And I was like, oh, this is checking because, you know, I heard somebody come up the stairs. And, and she was like, that was so funny because I had a dream of a dude coming into my room and talking to me in Welsh. And he was wearing, like, old-timey clothes. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Mm. A dream, you say. <laughs> um, Mm. so the next day we're gonna go out there's like an art festival thing happening that we wanted to go to and the keys to the cottage always hang on a hook by the door we go to leave and the keys aren't on the hook and we looked everywhere i mean we turned that place upside down we were looking in the oven and the refrigerator and just places like that you know um I went upstairs to check multiple times. They weren't there. We dug through our purses. We went through our pockets. They're nowhere. And then finally, as we're just like, what do we do? Do we just like leave it unlocked? I mean, can we even do that? Do we have to stay here? We turn around and they're sitting right on top of my cousin's purse on the table. Like just boop. Somebody just dropped them there. And yeah. 
So I was like, oh, this this guy's cool. He's got a sense of humor. It's all right. <laughs> I think he was just like coming to see who was up so late at night in his house or whatever. That's funny. Did yeah. you ever have, I'm asking, I'm going to start asking weird questions now. Did you ever have night terrors or sleepwalk or sleep paralysis? have sleep paralysis or anything? Yes. Um, I don't remember sleepwalking as a kid. I sleep talk a lot. It's mostly just nonsense, but um, uh, I know there was one time when I was in grad school where I had the full sleep paralysis experience. It was like I woke up, I felt like there was something sitting on my chest. It, I couldn't open my eyes because that's part of it. But in my mind's eye, it looked sort of like a gargoyle kind of thing crouching on me. I I don't know. I think I said like the Lord's Prayer or something. Whatever came to my mind that was an official prayer, sort of <laughs> the first thing. And um, it felt horribly malevolent and evil. And then it went away. Then I've had a couple of sleep paralysis adjacent experiences. Um, one of them was actually on that same trip uh, while I was in England. I was staying in a friend's house. And I had asked her before I went over there, is there anything I can bring you? And she was like, yeah, can you give me a sage bundle? And I was like, sure. I didn't ask her what it was for. But after this experience, I was like, maybe that's why I she needed a sage bundle. <laughs> um but I, uh, I had this this guy uh, appeared to me, not physically. It was more like an envision in a visionary mm -hmm. state, um, who was bald and naked, and uh, said that he wanted to show me how he died. And I was like, mm -mm. he's like, I'm going to use your body and show you. I was like, no, no, you're not. You're not getting oh. anywhere near my body. Mm -mm. And but he. Uh, he was very insistent about it. I was like, look, if you want to tell me that's cool, if you want to like show me in a dream, that's also acceptable to me, but you are not like jumping me. And, but he tried, he tried for quite some time. Um, he didn't really succeed, but I feel like I've got a really good protection squad. I don't know exactly who they are, but I've been saved like at the You've last got minute. Good bouncers. Yes, definitely. You probably uh, inherited that from your mom. With the the death you, curse attempts and, and yeah the the poisoning and the whatnot yeah yeah yep and, and that'll uh, only get stronger as you as you work shamanically as well good Your protection I like it. get stronger I'm very grateful for it uh, yeah yeah you know yeah, what's really funny that dude sounded like totally bad news and not cool uh huh yeah I did not trust him at all. Um, funnily enough, since I started doing the shamanic training stuff, I get the most amazing parking spaces at Kroger. Like before this, you know, did, that Becky, place... teach you, did Becky teach you the song? No. Okay. She used to have a song. <laughs> parking magic, parking magic. Please, please work. Please, please work. Get me a parking space. Not too far. From my place, please, please work. Please, please work. I think that's how it went. That is there, awesome. Yeah. And then then the one that I use, I actually learned from uh, a man at a pagan festival. And he, he, he prays to the goddess Squat. 
Squat is the goddess of parking places and um, uh, that sort of thing. Like she's sort of a, you know, in between places kind of person. Okay. So she, he said, what are the parts of a prayer? He said, you have to greet the deity. He said, so this is how I greet her. Hey, squat. <laughs> and then because, you know, it should be polite. You go, how's it going? <laughs> I hope everything's going okay for you. You know, and then you make your petition. You know, I have this problem. I really need a parking place. I'm going to be going to Kroger's and I really need a parking place close because my knees are, are giving me trouble today. So if you could please make sure I have a parking place. Thank you. And until next time, have a good one. Thank you, squat. I love you. And and that was, it works. <laughs> it works. I'll it works every time. One. But I, yeah, um, she used to have that song. So. I just started noticing that. I mean, it used to be like, because Kroger's is the only game in town for Athens. And yeah. for people who've never been here, it's, it's, Athens is not a big place, but that store does not have a big enough parking lot for the number mm -hmm. of people who, go there and it doesn't matter if you're there at 1 a.m or 1 p.m it is parked up yeah. and all of a sudden i started like i'd be pulling into the parking lot and somebody would pull out of the spot right next to the handicap spot or something at the front like it's just all the time now mm -hmm. and i didn't ask for that but i'm not knocking it it's pretty pretty groovy yeah yeah that's I that's the becky special she's really good <laughs> at at the parking magic She's, I cheat. I awesome. park in the I park in the other lot <laughs> and just walk <laughs> because I'm not dealing with the Kroger parking lot because it's also uh -huh. people forget how to drive. Yes, they do in the Kroger parking lot, and I just don't even. I just don't. I park across the road in the lake. Joanne's parking lot. Yeah, yeah, I park uh -huh. in the Joanne's parking lot. That is the truth, right there. That's where everybody <gasps> should park. Yes, I've had so many near collisions in that Kroger parking lot. It's it's people lose their minds. I don't know if it's like badly designed or something, or it just has its own. There's too evil much magic. There's too much. There's store not too much people and not enough, and not enough space. Yeah, mm -hmm. is yeah. what it is. And I I also think there is just there's possibly a spirit of frustration and impatience that, that lives in that lot. <laughs> if, if, if human emotions can give form and food to, to spirits as has been theorized by some people and that I kind of halfway subscribe to there's, there's a malevolent whirlpool of just frustration. I agree. I agree. Like millennia from now, archeologists of the future are going to find the, remains the ruins of Kroger parking lot and just be like, oh, this place has terrible juju. Right? <laughs> it's gonna have bad vibes, man. Yeah, it's yeah. not a good place. It's not. Um, um, so, have you ever seen lights in the woods? In no! I'm really kind of envious of people who have seen those. I haven't yet, but I feel like it's just a matter of time here. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, I really, that's, that's why I love your podcast so much is that it's like Athens, well, Athens and even Appalachia generally have not gotten enough love where 
you'll hear people talking about how their area is supposedly so haunted or spooky and they'll tell some stories and it's like, are you kidding? I mean, that's nothing. Like we've got <laughs> Bigfoot and oh, yeah. haunted cemeteries and, and crazy lights in the wood. We're like just a hop, skip and the jump from Mothman. We got UFOs. It's all here. It is yeah, all here. We do. We do. On display. Yeah. It was funny. The last time we had Timothy Renner on our show, on the podcast, um, Morgana pointed out that Athens seems to get UFOs and Nelsonville gets Bigfoot. And she could not figure out why it was that way. And he said, I predict that within a month, you are going to get a report of Bigfoot in Athens. And I mean, he looks like a wizard. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of him, but he looks like yeah. Gandalf's younger brother. <laughs> you know, Gandalf yes. the White's younger brother's running around in Pennsylvania slumming it. I don't know why, but that's what <laughs> because he's busy with his lovely family and podcast, and he's hunting down Bigfoot. That's what wizards that's, do. That's what in he's Pennsylvania, up to. Apparently, I, I wonder. I wonder if Big Brother Gandalf visits. He probably does, and he just doesn't. Tell <laughs> us. Then we'd all be at his house waiting. Um, but, uh, he said that and, and Morgana is already kind of like, he's, he's a wizard man. I don't know. He's a wizard. And, and so she's very deferential with him. And so he said that and lo and behold, three and a half weeks from when he said that I'm sitting, I'm eating dinner and I get a text message from somebody who used to live here in Athens, who now lives in Georgia. She used to cut my hair. And she was like, hey, I love your podcast. And I just wanted to tell you something because I, I had this experience about three years ago and I didn't know what it was at the time, but I think it was Bigfoot. And so she was up in the woods next to the ridges, up, up on that trail that goes you know, past the old hospital mm -hmm. and up into the woods there. She was up in there and she was, she was being photographed. She's a model. And so she was not nude, but, you know, scantily clad. And the woman who was taking her photograph was there and she said it was about to rain. Um, so it was getting really dark and it was getting kind of that creepy vibe. And she said, you know, the woods, we'd been up there before. They never bothered us. Nothing, nothing was creepy up there. It's a beautiful place. She said, but this this chill wind went through and then we heard this noise and she said it was like she said for a second i thought it was a tornado siren she said but it wasn't it was a growl roar howl and she said it scared us so much and it just kept going on and then it happened again. And she said, I, I threw on my clothes. She grabbed the camera and the tripod and the everything. And we booked it out of there. And she said, and for the longest time, we were like, was that a werewolf? What what was that? Was it a bear? Was it a, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, she said it wasn't until she was watching Finding Bigfoot and they had recorded howls of a Bigfoot that had been, um, in, I think it was in West Virginia, she said. I don't remember which one, which state, which episode. She said, I think it was Bigfoot. 
I started to laugh. And so I had to call Morgana. I was like, hey, Morgana, guess what? We just got a report of. I get the best <laughs> phone calls. I get the absolute best phone calls and texts for, at weird times. <laughs> talking about poltergeists in the woods, weird lights. I just saw a UFO. Hey, look outside. Maybe you'll see the UFO. And I'm like, mom, mom, I'm trying to read my book. Wait, okay. <laughs> Calm you down. saw the UFO though, didn't you? I did see the UFO, or right. I call her and I'm like, "There's a thing." Yeah, we 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 have weird phone calls that go back and forth. So of course, I had to tell tell Timothy. I'm like, "Dude, you predicted it. <laughs> you, three and a half weeks, almost to the day. It's Pretty synchronicities." Good. And speaking of synchronicities, do you get synchronicities too? Or oh my lord, yes. <laughs> That's probably like the most common type of like, whatever you want to call it, magical phenomenon or paranormal phenomenon that I experience in my life. It is so regular. And of course, it's the, it's always the kind of thing. I mean, the nature of synchronicities are you tell somebody about them and they don't seem to be significant at all. But yeah. because of the timing or whatever, they yeah. absolutely are. Um you mentioning that thing about the Bigfoot uh, tornado siren sound um, reminded me of something that my friend was telling me. And this is my friend who's a scientist, right? She has the house that has the creepy woods at night. And she tells me how she was on her way. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm telling the story, but. You're not giving her names, so. That's, that's true. So she's on her way to an appointment and she is she's a very punctual person. She does not like being late. I've been late every day of my life, literally from the day I was born. <laughs> she can't handle that. So she got ready in plenty of time, left her house to get there early. She arrives for the appointment and it's like an hour later. And she's like, I have no idea what happened at that time. Then she says to me, and the night before I saw these lights hovering over the woods. Then she says to me, and this other weird thing happened a couple days ago where I saw this, I heard this like, it sounded like there's a crazy windstorm outside. I go out on the back deck to look at what's going on. And it's like, there's just a strip of wind, like going through the woods. Like the trees are thrashing around like there's a wind. There's, but nothing else is, everything else is still. And there's no visible like vehicle going through the woods or animal or anything like that. It's just like this invisible thing going through. And I was like, well, girl, you just had yourself a pretty classic set of Bigfoot encounters there. And <laughs> yeah. she was like, really? <laughs> and I, she, she told me later that she had figured out that the lights were probably military planes. And I'm like, okay, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see it with you, sadly. Yeah. But the rest of it was just so good. And I was like, oh man, why did the unbelievers get some of the best encounters? <laughs> I, I swear. I feel like they're just trolling them. Like I feel like, like it's, <laughs> it's, they're either trying to prove a point or because it's funny or because the rest of us want to see it too much maybe i sometimes think that with me they're just like we don't have to convince you you already believe this stuff that that is also possible yeah um, yeah we can tell you what we want you to know in some little dream or whatever you don't need yeah. a big display so yeah you've got ghosts you've got no lights in the woods um but you are lights in the sky adjacent yes <laughs> yes yes um although hard adjacent 
-hmm. out that out that road out harmony road there are a lot of lights out there and then um i see them behind my house and we're right in town um and i knew yes. people who were seeing it around their house back in the 1990s and they lived in town as well so you'll stumble across them probably if if you're inclined to see things i think um because they do seem to be reasonably common mm -hmm. yeah um so yes to night terrors sorry they're never fun it's never fun when that happens no, I recently had a dream that I was having sleep paralysis. And I was like, I don't know if this counts. Because in the dream, I was struggling to move. And I could feel so physically that feeling of struggling to move. And I think I really was. Um, but And it was like a lucid dream at the same time. So I was like, oh, I don't wow. know if this is sleep paralysis or what. This is like too meta for me. <laughs> That's... <laughs> We just talked to a really nice lady who had out-of-body experiences all the time. And I'm like, well, is that what that was? Were you trying to? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't prefer those kind of things. But as I said, or as you said, actually, I've got good bouncers. So I really don't have too many of those truly terrifying things and sometimes i wish they would actually dial it back a little bit just because i like i half really want to see bigfoot but then there's <laughs> that other part of me that's just like oh, maybe i don't maybe i don't <laughs> yeah i used to think i wanted to see the big guy too but i'm not so sure after i yeah. heard him that one time and that was enough that mm, didn't like yeah that. and i listen to strange familiars so i've heard how scared some of those people are oh yeah uh, yeah. And uh, I don't need to be that scared. Life is no. scary enough. I no. just, I, I really hope I don't. But if I absolutely, if this happens to me, can it happen to me where I can immediately run back inside? Like not <laughs> right. out camping or something. Cause then I'll never want to go camping again. No, like, no, I, I definitely, I don't want to be like isolated on my own out in the woods when it happens. Well, it's like at a nice, comfortable distance would be good. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you can't climb a tree. He's got thumbs. I just... Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> really big thumbs. Too. Right? So any other weird experiences of a flavor that we have not yet covered or any other ones that you really want to share? Oh, my gosh. Isn't it funny how when somebody asks you point blank, all of a sudden you're just like, I know they're oh. there, but <laughs> I can't like enumerate them. Yeah. That happens with me too. Yeah. Suddenly you're like, I don't, I don't know. I, I do have things, but I don't know what they are. But I do think, and it, this is kind of along the lines of what I was saying about how sometimes the people who don't believe in paranormal stuff have the craziest, most dramatic paranormal experiences, which they then frequently forget or, you know, write off as something yeah. else. But um, now that I'm like consciously engaging with this stuff and deliberately engaging with it, um, I don't feel like I'm having quite as many accidental encounters with it. It's sort of like now there's a communication channel open. And so they know that they can, tell me stuff in a dream, tell me stuff in a um, 
journey or whatever. Although they don't necessarily wait for that. I mean, I get a lot of just information outside of that. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's less of that like random bursts kind of experience. I feel that. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, have you read anything by Dr. Jack Hunter? Yes. Well, I'm very familiar with him. I'm actually, have I read his stuff? I, I've listened to a bunch of interviews with him. I don't think I've actually read his stuff. I feel like I have because I've heard him talk about it. <laughs> it's okay. not quite the same. Yeah, we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think that you would really groove with his style of anthropology. Um, oh, yeah. His, his way of working. Um, I really think that it you would you would really feel that and he's uh, he's definitely one of the people that i would say is doing this really exciting work now in anthropology and it's kind of like anthropology was always meant it's like it had a destined encounter with philosophy because ultimately philosophy is asking questions like what is real and how do we know right and you can't escape that with anthropology for no. very long you no. can you can say well i'm just going to go you know live among these people and you know describe their rain dance or whatever but inevitably you come up against this question of what they know to be real and if you do it right studying anthropology i don't know that you necessarily get there you know if you just take one class in it or something but if you really engage with it it will mess up your world it should mess up your assumptions about how things work yeah absolutely and crow yeah. was an anthropologist yes so i never met him sadly but he, i heard that he was, he was fun he was funny. He was very dignified in, in many ways. And so I think having my husband and I sharing space with him at times was probably very trying for him because, <laughs> you know, we both have trickster energy. We both, mm. um, I mean, we, we went to shamanic workshops and drumming circles with he and Becky a lot. So, I mean, he knew, he knew what he was getting into and he knew that my very first you know, animal ally was a fox and he knew. Oh, me too. Back. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, and Zach's was one of his was coyote. And so he knew what was the chaos that could possibly happen. So, but at times I, there, every now and then I'd just look at him and be like, oh, poor crow. Oh. <laughs> poor crow. Here, let me make yeah. beignets and get you high on sugar there. There you go. <laughs> Have fun with that. <laughs> well, that's my kind of guy who can make me stuff that gets me high on sugar. <laughs> um, oh, tricksters are, they can really put you on the fast track to having some major realizations and insights and spiritual transformation. But God, they're annoying. Oh, sometimes. They're funny. They're funny. They are. They have it, a sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, and, and my, my fox was, he's very British and he's very, <laughs> he's snippy, you know, and just funny. And, and he's tied probably to my English ancestors from the, 
Midlands. I don't know, but I suspect it. And he's just, you know, well, you haven't been here to see me in a while, have you? You know, <laughs> just very. Mm. So, and as, as Morgana says, and as Kendra says, Fox tricksters are not nice tricksters. And so my sense of humor and my trick playing occasionally is coyote laughs with you they'll say but fox laughs at you yeah <laughs> so yeah yep yep oh i have this other spirit that i don't know what her name is because she refuses to tell me and she is a shapeshifter she started spontaneously appearing when I was meditating and stuff. So she sought me out for whatever reason. And she is basically what she said is, look, I'm going to give you breadcrumbs. I'm going to give you like one breadcrumb and your job is to go where that one breadcrumb is, but I'm not going to like give you any indication of context around it or like where it's leading or any stuff like that. And I'm totally not going to be available when you call if you have questions <laughs> i have other things to do thank you oh yeah that's very clear she's like i'm a busy person <laughs> and um yeah and i've so she she had she has kind of this like baba yaga kind of energy and i was like is that who you are and she's like no and so I tried a few other kind of things and she's like, no, I'm older than all those. And I was like, well, they're all, all, everything is older than that. Like these are our human interfaces for things, you know? And it's like a skin we put on them in some ways. And, yeah. and uh, so like, well, I know that, but I'm like, is this stuff that like, has anybody ever called you that or like mm -hmm. known you by this name? And she was just like, not telling. <laughs> so, I mean, she gets the job done, no question about it, but, uh, you could yeah. try perched a, I, yep. There's definitely some similarities there too. And also with the Kalia from Irish and Scottish stuff. Um, and actually one of my like Irish ancestral lines is supposed to be descended from her, in fact, but I don't know. I don't know. Most of the, the other thing is like most of the beings that contact me where I can put a name to them have nothing to do with any culture that I'm genetically related to or have any like cultural tie to or have ever lived in the area of the world that they're associated with. They do their thing, you know, and you. They the do not like. The symbolism you get is like the symbolism you get, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, good luck trying yeah. to get them to obey human uh, regulations and stuff, which can complicate issues of like cultural appropriation and stuff, because in my experience, they don't really pay any attention to that at all. So. If, you, if you listen to them, they'll come. Mm -hmm. And if they want to talk to you, they will. And they don't really give a darn about niceties. Nope. Nope. And if they're tricksters, they don't feel like explaining anything. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they give the, the most minimal explanation possible. Or something that's completely wrong, but somehow yeah. manages to put you on the right path in a weird, yeah. circuitous way. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, I yeah. think we've probably been talking for a good long while. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? And you're welcome to come back. I'll, I'll just throw that out there right now. Well, thank you. Want. Um, cause I'm fascinated with the anthropology part and, oh, yes. uh, you know, it, it's something that I think is worth talking about with, you know, a range of different people, you know, how, how we look at what is real and yes. what different cultures understand as real, but it was great to meet you. Um, we've been exchanging emails back and forth, um, for a while, but it was great to put a face to the, to the words and Same here. Uh, put a voice to the words. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.